0: Um, will you please turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 I'm going to read the whole chapter 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and our focus this morning will be on verse 21 I'm going to read the whole chapter to put this verse 21 into, into context Thessalonians chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you should have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labour pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should, should overtake you as a, as a thief. You are all sons of life, of light and sons of the day. We are, of the, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of, of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and the love and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. But God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognise those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and who esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole, may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. <clears throat> Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our lips be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and our Redeemer, for we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Well, this morning, I'd like us to look at 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5 and verse 21. We know that Satan is relentless in his many attacks on the word of God through people <coughs> who like to, to, who like to quen, sorry, quen, question the fundamentals of scripture. I was drawn to a, an article called The Process and Result of the Fuller Theological Seminary Abandoning, abandoning Their Doctrinal Statement. Now, the Fuller Theological College was set up in 1947 by Fuller himself as a reformed college, fully reformed. But, and when you look at their doctrinal statement back in 1947, it said, the books which form the canon of the Old and New Testaments are originally, as originally given, are plenarily inspired and free from error in the whole and in the part. These books constitute the written word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. And that's a good, solid biblical statement. Then later in 1962, a faculty member was to sign without, every faculty member was to sign without mental reservation or voluntarily leave. They were to sign that that declaration. In 1962, one wealthy board member uh, openly denied inerrancy and nothing was done to correct that. And so it goes on and on over the years. But there was a downward spiral here. Fuller believed in the infallibility, inerrancy of all Scripture in their first doctrinal statement. Exactly what we believe. The Bible, the Word of God is inerrant, infallible and inspired. Fuller then moved to believe the infallibility of the Scriptures only in faith and practice, seen in the second doctrinal statement, not mentioning inerrancy. And thirdly now, Fuller moved to believe the infallibility of Scripture only in the area of salvation or the scripture is only inerrant when it speaks of salvation. So here's a, a reformed theological college gradually going downhill. I guess Martin Luther would be highly disturbed by this movement. In fact, the theological seminary spoke uh, after Vatican II and said that Vatican II has opened a door between dialogue Uh, For dialogue between Roman Catholics and Protestants, which we are eager to enter. This is Fuller speaking. The Evangelical Roman Catholic Dialogue and Mission and the National Convocations of Christian Leaders, in which Fuller has played a part, have demonstrated considerable common ground in a desire for effective ways to evangelise non-Christians and renew parish life. That's the state of a reformed college. Uh, It's in Pasadena in California. You see, the this, this seminary also promotes an unbiblical view of the ordination of women, questioning the very meaning of 1 Timothy 2. And yet we have a college who is supposed to be the leading thinker in evangelical teaching and training for all denominations. That's for, every, for all denominations. So, to me, I'm sure <clears throat> many times we've been deluded by others. We've been deluded, deluded by others that are speaking God's truth and we find later their words cannot be supported by scripture. And you know, we are being challenged to every side by unconverted family and friends who often say, "You still don't believe in that, do you?" Today I want to talk to you about discernment as we see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, we see "test all things, hold fast what is good." This is what I call a call to discernment. The Apostle Paul here is saying, you'd better examine everything. You'd better examine it carefully. You'd better find out what is good and hold on to it. And what, not, what is not good, let it go. That's my translation, quick translation of what he's getting at. You know, and discernment is one of those components of basic spiritual living. Unfortunately, a lot of churches today have boundless credulity And anything and everything is accepted. Now, when I was working as a young chemist in a pharmaceutical company, we were testing... One of the things I had to do was test raw materials apart from testing finished products. And oftentimes we'd find a raw material that wasn't right. Part of it was wrong. And so the part that was wrong was discarded. The part that was right was separated out and used... We had one of, our, one of our products which began with a fibrous root material. In the fibrous root material was a common tonic. We had to separate the good part out of the rest of the rubbish. And by the way, it was about 90% rubbish. But the tonic that was in it was excellent for people. So we need to do, we need to do the same thing here. I'm using an illustration. We need to look at what people are saying compare it with the Word of God, does it or does not f- compare favourably favorably with Scripture? In the time of the Re- Reformation, we th- read of three great principles uh, which won the battle against the Church of Rome. Firstly, the supremacy and sufficiency of God's Word rather than the Church having ultimate authority. Secondly, the right of personal discernment versus only the Church. Could do that, or the priest could do that. And thirdly, that wonderful one of, of that came with Luther, justification by faith only without the deeds of the law versus the Roman Catholic teaching of justification by works, by special prayers, by confessions, etc. If we keep hold of these three supreme things that came out, or these three clear things that came out of the Reformation, challenging error, then no weapon that Satan can forge will ever prosper. And I think in these few words here in one Thessalonians, there's two great truths that come out. Firstly, the necessity of personal, of personal discernment. In those words, test all things. And secondly, the conclusion of personal discernment, in that we are to hold fast what is good. So looking at this necessity of personal discernment, we see this word, test all things, Test or examine, Dachismos are tested, proved, or tried by uh, tried as metals by fire and thus purified to ver- to to verify or discern. When impure metals go through a furnace, like in the 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 separation of gold from from dross, it goes through a furnace. Bauxite goes through a furnace to burn off the rubbish to leave pure aluminium behind. This discerning this burning off. And here this examine is in the present imperative tense, a present tense that that says to us, this is not an isolated action, but is rather to be settled as a rule and continuing practice. Ongoing, we have a right, we have a duty, and we have a necessity to exercise personal discernment. It involves not only testing, but determining the genuineness or value of an event, or some object, or what what we're hearing. What do I mean, though, by right to exercise personal discernment? I mean that every believer is required by God to exercise personal discernment by comparing men's words with the writings in God's revelation, in God's word. That's the standard. Does it agree? Or does it disagree with God's word? What do I mean by duty? I mean that every believer is required by God to exercise personal discernment by comparing men's words with God's revelation. What do I mean by necessity? I mean that it's absolutely necessary for every believer to exercise these rights so that we're not deceived. And Paul brings these things to our notice in those words, test all things. He doesn't say that we are, to go, we are to believe everything we are told by friends, family or even elders without first testing them against scripture. He doesn't say that we are to believe whatever the church pronounces as true without first testing them against scripture, scripture. No, he says, test all things. I read that and thought, I've got the perfect example of things being tested. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Christ being tested In the wilderness. And Jesus was led up up by the spirit. Into the wilderness. To to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. After he was hungry. There's his humanity coming coming out. When the tempter came to him. He said. If you are the son of God. Command these stones to become bread. But he as Jesus said. Is written that men shall not. By bread alone. Shall not live by bread alone. But by every word. that proceedeth from the mouth of God. And Satan didn't leave it there. He said, took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against stone. Satan's cunning here. There's a misuse there of Psalm 91. Jesus said to him, It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He's using Deuteronomy, using Deuteronomy in both these, these uh, resistances. Again the devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. You see, here's a principle of being laid down, down by our Saviour. Jesus tested all the things that Satan laid before him by the word of God. He used that as his weapon. No fancy words. No humming and hawing. No Facebook. No media. Nothing else. For us... That which the Bible teaches we are to receive and hold and obey. That which cannot stand the test of scripture we are to reject refuse, repudiate and cast away just like Jesus did. And of course he defeated Satan. You notice Satan didn't give up. kept going. He even challenged the word of God. Then challenged the very uh, being of Christ himself. This is the personal discernment. This is what we must exercise. However, I'm not trying to encourage you to be brash and discourteous to preachers or teachers or to godly parents who are trying to teach their children. Don't set yourself up as an expert if you seldom pray or if you seldom read your Bible or seldomly, seldomly attend Bible studies. Don't expect to settle difficult uh, scriptural questions if you know very little parts of the Bible, either the Old or New Testaments. However, we must take care to weigh up what we hear, what we read, with serious examination to determine whether it is sound or not. We have a really good example of the sound discernment being exercised by the church of Berea, don't we? The other reading we had from Acts chapter 17. We know that from verse 2 there, Then Paul, as his custom was... Uh, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with this is the church in Thessalonica with them from the Scriptures. Here we have a group of unbelieving Jews that then that Paul had had, had Paul Silas Paul and Silas cast out of Thessalonica. These the Jews at Berea, of course, were wondering what happened at Thessalonica and didn't take the apostle's word for granted when he came to teach them. After all, Paul and Silas had fled. fled from the Jews at Thessalonica and so we read in verses 10 to 12 then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea then when they arrived they went into the synagogue of the Jews these were more fair-minded another translation is noble-minded or noble were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so that's what they did. They heard. They were interested. They, they, they submitted the word of God. They looked at what Scripture said, said. And therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. That's the standard for us. That's the standard for us. They listened and tested. The Bereans, they had the best of the teachers in Paul and Silas. So you'd expect nothing of error to come out. But they still checked. They still checked. As you would check on what I'm saying today. Does Does it stand in line with Scripture? They were ready to listen. They received the word with all readiness. See, in understanding the word of God, we're going to say, I want to hear. I want to humbly submit to the word of God. Before we go away testing things, I want to hear it. Then I'll go away and test it against scripture. And of course they searched daily to find out if these things were true. It wasn't just a once-up episode. They searched daily. They kept searching, kept checking, and understood what Paul and Silas Silas were saying. Is it true or not? Does it stand the test of scripture? And like the the church of Thessalonica, they they looked daily at the word of God. And many of them believed. Again, isn't this personal discernment? However, however, since Paul reasoned with them from using the scriptures, they had immediate recourse to their Bibles. They read for themselves and were able to test all things that Paul said. We've got the word of God before us. When we hear something being sprouted forth, either from the pulpit or from another church or from some kind of public ministry, here we have God's inspired word in front of us. To test it, to understand what they're saying, what people are saying. Paul uh, also there was there's also Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what they say. He's talking here to to men who are smart. He's still saying to them, test, test what's being said. And John said in one John he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world well we know that don't we we say oh yes it's all happened but do we test it do we listen to what's being said can we say to other people I don't believe that because it doesn't stand up this test of scripture from this particular verse there are many spiritual experts around us many pretend to have that spirit of God no matter who may teach us, all must be compared with that word of God regularly. We are to examine the claims and lives of those who claim to possess the Spirit of God against his word by testing all things. And so far I've said so far I have said that it's impossible to underestimate the evils that may arise from neglecting personal discernment. However, it is also impossible to underestimate the blessings that personal discernment has upon the world, upon the church. Personal discernment caused the English reformers to examine and inquire for themselves the true, true nature of the corrupt Roman system of the mass that they experienced in all their lives. They saw what the mass was. Does that stand up in scripture? No. No. And they went to the stake and were burnt alive for that stand because they stood up for scripture. Scripture proved that the mass is blasphemous. One after another, they were burnt at the stake. All they did and all they preached and all they suffered occurred because they exercised personal discernment at that time. There's a famous Johann Titzel in the Roman Catholic system, a Roman Catholic friar who, reputedly known for granting indulgences indulgences in exchange for money which allow a remission of temporal punishment due to sin the guilt of which has been forgiven a position heavily challenged by Martin Luther nearly 505 years or 505 years ago in, 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 in October this year Luther nailed his 95 theses for debate on the door of the castle of the church at Wittenberg and we saw that church, it's a big door, it's a huge door and um, So Luther challenged Tetzel's claim by the light of God's word that came from a personal discernment of scripture. He was able to call him out because he discerned from the word of God that what Tetzel was selling and making money for the church was wrong. You can't buy your your way into heaven. That's what virtually he was doing by these indulgences. So he's another man that stood up. And we talk about Martin Luther. He stood up for these things. But let's not remember that man was not infallible. We're not talking about us being infallible or anything like that we look at the word of God and pray over it have we got our understanding right is our knowledge right as long as we live let us resolve that we will read for ourselves think for ourselves and discern, discern scripture for ourselves we have plenty of wonderful helps around plenty of online commentators and things like that but let's remember too these commentators are not infallible It's the word of God that's infallible. And if we struggle with understanding, yes, we can get help from commentators, but they may not help either. Sometimes you need to talk with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the body of Christ, working to build each other up. But you've first got to discern what is truth and what is error. Let us dare to have an opinion based upon God's word. We should never be ashamed of saying, I think that this is right because I find it in the Bible. Or I think this is wrong because I do not find it in the Bible. Let us test all things and test them by the word of God. Secondly, let's turn our minds to this conclusion of personal discernment. In those words, hold fast what is good. The Greek word here, katako, hold fast again, is in the the present imperative, present tense. So it's not, a, again, not an isolated action. It's to be the believer's settled rule and continuing practice. Keep clinging to, clinging to what is good. Embrace it wholeheartedly. Take possession of it. Keep doing this all your Christian life. Once you test something, you lay hold of it, you find it's true, that's part of your building up. You know, you, if you look back in your life, you can see the, the process of sanctification working. The building up of the saints. That's what the church is for. That's what the body of Christ is for. And that's what you hang on to. Hold fast. Hold fast. Ongoing. Hold fast what is good. Good doesn't just refer to something that is superficial or cosmetic, but what is genuinely and inherently good. What is righteous, what is noble, what is excellent. And we know those things in the word of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus to his disciples in those last days. What a wonderful thing to hang on to. We know it's right. We know that Christ is the only way. We know that he's the, the only truth. We know that he's the only life. We've discerned that, tested it and found it good. Hang on to it. And it lasts us all our life. It's one of the things we used to have as a constant thing at Merry Beach Mission. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a great evangelical, evangelical few words. I think one of the pulpits... Uh, in our church has that engraved on it. I think it was on the Mary Beach pulpit. What Paul is saying then is when you've found the truth for yourself and when you are satisfied that it is Christ's truth then take a hold of firm on it keep it in your heart and never let it go. It goes into your heart so it's not forgotten. The Holy Spirit can bring those things our hearts and our minds are built on the point of the word of God, and the Holy Spirit can bring those things that we hold fast to, to mind when we need to to speak, or we need to talk to others, when we need to evangelise. Remember what the promise is? I will give you the words to speak. He said that to his disciples. Don't worry about what to say. I will give you the words to speak at the time. The work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul speaks as one who knew from experience what the heart of the Christian heart is, what it's really like. We know our hearts are sinful. We know that our grasp of the gospel is at the best very cold. He knew that our love soon grows weak when we are faced with worldly temptations. He knew that our faith soon wavers when it is challenged. That's the reasons why we need to hold fast to these things. So that when we go through these times, we can challenge from what we understand. He speaks as though by the spirit he understood that the good tidings of the gospel would soon be corrupted and spoilt. He speaks as if he could see the spirit that Satan and all his, in the spirit that he could see Satan and all his angels work hard to cast down Christ's church or Christ's truth. That's why he says to us today, hold fast what is good. And this is good advice. As there's always a tendency in us for decay in the best of us. We find that the best visible church of Christ is not free from the liability to degenerate. We see a theological college going through de- degeneration. And when I was thinking about this, I thought five years ago or three years ago, we had seven congregations. I'm not saying we're going through a period of degeneration or things like that, but something has happened which the church, I hope, is going to be able to address. Why have we gone from seven congregations down to three? God, that's grieved me tremendously when I was preparing this sermon. This is of the church being, of course, made up of fallible men and women. We are fallible. There's always the present in the church; that tendency to leave our first love, as we often see, creeping into the church, and we see it in the church at Corinth, the church that Paul set up, and lo and behold, later on, there's immorality rife in the in the church. He addresses it in those first nine chapters of 1 Corinthians. The church is falling apart through the immorality uh, that was rife in the church at that particular time. And he's had to address it and say, it has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with on the basis of scripture. You've been taught. You've tested things. You've had of truths. You need to exercise that truth in the discipline of your church. There's a great necessity for us to remember these words of Paul, hold fast, which is good. Remember that Satan is always working to bring in false doctrine. His objective, even though he's a, de- a defeated agent, his objective is bringing down as many people as he can, even if it's the church. And Peter says that, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walks about seeking whom he may devour uh, like a roaring lion, Seeking him that may devour. Interesting, when we were on one of our safaris in Africa, we saw a, a lion devouring a zebra. A zebra, yeah. He's into it. And a few hours later, of course, he's under a tree, absolutely full, can't hardly breathe, etc. But that reminded me that, that was, that's what Satan wants to do. His objective, as a defeated agent, I can bring that church down. And he gets in there and uses all the wiles he can, he attacks members he attacks the church as a whole he knows where we had not stood firm on something he knows when we haven't got something held fast in our, in our hearts we know that don't we he knows how to tempt us each one of us individually he knows exactly what to do to give us doubts, to cause us to wander, to cause us to worry unnecessarily, causing us not to trust Causing us to uh, to, to fall into sin. Sorry, he plants the temptation. We're the ones that sin. Today, faithful churches are being tried and tested with the challenges of God's truth occurring every day. Challenges for things like same sex marriage, the six day creation, and as we've seen a moment ago, the inerrancy of Scripture. They're just some of the challenges that are facing the church today, faithful churches. How do, we, how do we respond to that? we have been asked to find out if, we are tri- if, we are, if we're true, if we're prepared to hold fast, or whether we just give in to a popular view. Is that what you do? What's your response when your good friend says to you that he or she goes to church on Saturday night, leaving Sundays free, so come to the beach with me? What do you say to that? Many Anglican churches do that. They have worship on a Saturday evening, keeping Sunday free. To do what you forgot the lord's day what does the lord's day mean come to the beach how do you respond to a friend like that what is your response to the question and this came to me often at the weekends in work what did you do on the weekend do you leave out attending church worshiping god or do you dodge around that because you know the church is under attack from these modernists atheists liberals charismatics Islamic movement and so on and so on. How are you going to defend that? Only if you've got the word of God in your heart. Only if you've tested things and held, held on to those things that uh, are important. The question, I think, for us is are we going to sit still quietly? Sit still and fold your arms and do nothing to resist the attacks of Satan upon yourselves and upon the church? you're going to say, I'll answer that question another day or you're going to say, I'll leave that question, I'll get somebody else to answer that question who perhaps has got better knowledge than me, you will be surprised when push comes to shove when people challenge your faith if you've got a solid faith how well you can answer the Holy Spirit brings things to your mind things that you hadn't even thought about scripture Challenge what people are saying by using scripture. But that knowledge base is only built up as we grow, as we read, as we pray, as we we submit to the word of God. And that knowledge base keeps building up. That's what the Holy Spirit can use. All those things that we're holding fast to, all those things we've already tested and understood. You might say, oh, I understand justification by faith. I understand sanctification by the Holy Spirit. I understand all those doctrines. But how do you put them to practice? How do you put them to practice? And, you te- and it's going to be, you're going to be tested. Somebody will test you. Whether it's a family friend, an old friend, whatever. You're going to be tested. Christ has said that. You're going to be tested. If we love the Bible... If we love the preaching of the truth, the whole counsel of God, you know, I've added those words, the whole counsel of God. When we're hearing preaching, one of the things I had a big disagreement with in the Presbyterian Church before I left it, we never heard the whole counsel of God. I've never heard a sermon on Revelation to the pastor. He said, oh, don't, it's a bit hard for me to tackle on I don't really believe it anyway. Uh-huh. What? You know, it's We've got to hear the whole counsel of God. If we love the Lord Jesus Christ and his church, then we must make up our minds to hold fast or we lose all. We've got to stand on the word of God. We've got to resist attacks personally and as a church. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ says, sees us contending for the truth and contending for the faith as our Christian duty in serving him. This is not an optional thing. This is part of our service. Each one of us has a ministry In this area, people have said to me, "Oh, I don't think I've got anything to add to the church or I've got no ministry. Wrong. Our ministries are all different, but they're all for the church. They're all for serving Christ. And how good your ministry can be is the way you are learning, the way you are holding fast on what's uh, what's, uh, uh, truthful scripture. We have a duty, all of us, to use this at every opportunity. This is part of our ministry that we receive in Christ. Every one of us should work, pray and labour, labour as if the preservation of the gospel depended on us individually. Every one of us has a sphere of influence because we've been equipped by teachers. And Paul says this very clearly in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 12 onwards. He says, <coughs> The equipping of the saints the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Our work in the ministry edifies the body of Christ. Wow! That's how the body of Christ survives. We've been equipped to build that up till we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's not my words. This is Paul's words to difficulties in the church at Ephesus. But that's what we've been equipped to do. So that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. James repeats it as well. And that only occurs because we've built up day by day the things that we've tested and we've held fast. So that we won't be so we won't be tossed to and fro. So we can challenge those who want to toss us to and fro, which is really Satan trying to toss us to and fro. And But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in the, into him who is, of, who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what each joint uh, supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Each one of us is part of their body. Some are eyes, some are arms, some are legs, etc., metaphorically speaking. But everyone grows strong. Now, as each individual part of the body grows strong, so the whole body grows strong. And the church grows strong. Praise God that we've been sustained here at Everton Park. I believe this congregation is growing strong. It's, it's building up the body of Christ. Each one of you, praise God, is building your body up. Each Lord's Day, each prayer meeting, each Bible study, each time we meet together, whether it be times of social things or times of formal worship, we're still part of that body of Christ and it's building. Bad decisions, faulty reasoning, compromise, superficial understanding, shallow knowledge, widespread ignorance, all these have contributed to more anguish in the church throughout her history than all the persecutions combined. Persecutions have taken their toll, but it is in, it's the inside chaos and the inside confusion over doctrine that's left the most scars of the church. That's why we need to have sound understanding of doctrine. And this is not only the result of human weakness or discerning truth, but it is the work of Satan who disguised, as Paul says, an angel of light who wants to confuse us as much as possible, and Jesus said to us, wolves will come in sheep's clothing." And Paul warned, warned the church about deceivers. In Acts twenty, he says that uh, after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, and not sparing the flock. This is just after he's preached in, in, to the church at Ephesus in chapter twenty uh, in Acts chapter twenty. Savage wolves will come amongst you. Well, that can't be right. We've heard the truth. Not sparing the flock. That flock is what Satan wants. He wants to to, to, to grab those who believe. In 2 Timothy he wrote, evil men and impostors impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In 1 Timothy he said, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. How do we combat that? We test all things and hold fast what is good. That's how we combat that stuff. Because as the deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons come along, we can challenge them and say, no, that's wrong. That doesn't stand up to the test of Scripture. And so, distinguishing between truth and error is essential to our lives. That is what Paul is saying to us today. We do know that human nature is lazy and takes an easy road out at every opportunity. But human nature will not naturally do the humbling work of allowing the Bible and its plain unambiguous verses to prove matters. Why do people have so many different opinions about the Bible? Generally, people come to the Bible with preconceived ideas and latch onto anything that seems to prove their belief. I can think of this in a creation sense, where people say, oh, well, you know, know, it's... The Bible says God created the, the world, the earth, in six days. You know, those days could be a thousand years. It says in the Bible, a day of the Lord is just a thousand years. And you multiply that out a bit and you know, it's just, it probably could be a billion years. Wow, there's the evolutionists coming in. And all through this process, you know, we go from a, an amoeba to a monkey to an ape to a person. See, people come in with these pre- preconceived ideas. But how do you challenge that? You're challenging it by having a good understanding of the first five chapters of Genesis. How good is your understanding to be able to challenge that kind of unbelief? At the same time, they will ignore or make light of Scripture. Things that contradict Scripture. Speaking about... Uh, speaking about Uh, Scripture speaks only about a man marrying a woman, a man and a woman being married. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 31 clearly condemns homosexuality. So people come in and say, oh, you know, a man can marry a man, a woman marry a woman, etc., etc. Or, you know, we can have homosexuality is not that big a problem, so, yeah, pastors homosexual, yeah, we can let that one go, etc., etc. No! That sin is condemned. You might love the sinner. You have to love the sinner. But you hate the sin. And that needs to be pointed out. How do you point it out? You go to scripture. You say, it says in Romans, this is where your knowledge is is useful to God. You've seen that. You've tested it. You hold fast to that knowledge. And you use that knowledge to help that person deal with that particular sin. You know, God can challenge opinions, to uh, our opinions, to test our very intents of our hearts. Where does your allegiance really lie? Will you humbly and personally submit to the clear instructions of God, allowing Him to lead you? Or alternatively, alternatively will you choose instead to hold onto other men's ideas, their idols, desperately grasping on the straws of unclear scriptures to build a shaking foundation? You see, faithful preachers of God must clearly believe and declare the whole counsel of God, the deity of Christ, the sin of sin and holiness, of ruin, redemption and regeneration. Or we should not hear them. There's just a few things I could think of, three things. If they can't declare those clearly, then we should not hear them. But some may say, well, let's not rock the boat. Let's not stir things up. This is very troublesome. Why not just sit and be still and be quiet? Think for a moment. If Luther had not taken up the issue of justification by faith some 500 years ago, think of the moment of the, moment of, the of the martyrs as they prepared to die at the stake for the error of the blasphemous mass. They did not count their lives precious for the gospel's sake. We're not being asked to go to the stake. But yes, we're open to ridicule because people don't believe the word of God. They don't love the word of God. We do, and therefore there's a difference. But are you prepared to take that ridicule? Are you prepared for it? Is your heart prepared for it? Have you tested enough things, held fast enough things? Go on reading. Go on, go on studying. Go on praying. In conclusion, a few, just a few points. Test everything to to see that it is genuine so that we can distinguish between what is true and what is false, what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, and separate the wheat from the chaff. Judge everything, evaluate everything to the word of God, distinguish it to everything, and everything means everything, all things. Arm yourselves with a thorough knowledge of God's word, again, by daily reading, by daily praying, by faithfully attending upon the preaching of God's word, in times of prayer, in our times of Bible study. All these things form part of our learning. All these things are more things we hear, we can compare with scripture and put them aside as things that are confirmed and uh, have been tested and things we can hold fast. Hold fast to that which is in accordance with the reason and word of God, which is adapted to promote salvation. When you've applied these proper tests and found out what truth is, you are to embrace and hold, embrace it and hold it fast. You are not, we're not at liberty to throw that away as if it was useless or to treat truth and falsehood as alike. It's our duty that we owe to ourselves and to God to adhere firmly to uh, his word and suffer the loss of all things rather than abandon God's word. Look at the reformers that burnt at the stake. They lost everything completely, their lives. They weren't prepared to give in. Some of them did. Some of them did give in and recanted their opposition to the mass. But a lot of them didn't and therefore went to the stake. Not everyone, but many did. So let us flee to Christ for refuge and lay hold upon the hope set before us in his glorious gospel. Do this and all things are yours. I want to encourage you, brethren, do this and all things will be yours. The church may fail, the nation nation may go to ruin, the enemies of truth may prevail for a period, but we shall see life everlasting in the world to come. For we shall have Christ, and having him, we have all. That is our great hope, that is our great love. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we bless you for your truth in Jesus Christ this day. We thank you for your word, for its infallibility. It's inerrancy, such that we can test all things and hold fast what is good. Lord, assist us in this duty, which we seek to joyfully perform, that your truth may be steadfastly fixed in our hearts and in our minds. We We pray for those who, not knowing you, are in everlasting darkness. We pray that you would open their eyes to your truth this day. For those who are your children, may a reviving work of your Holy Spirit enliven us in our duty. So that when you send the revival we are praying for, we will be ready and able instruments in that work. We pray all these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen.